0: Is symbolic of Christ. It's symbolic of the sacrifice and the offering that Jesus gave for each one of us. Amen. Amen. So our gift isn't just something you just flip it into the plate and like, well, I, you know, it's it's it should be from the heart because this is representing what God's given to you. Amen. And not just materially. So um, today we're going to look at stewardship, and this might be different than some other stewardship message you've heard. We're not doing a stewardship campaign. We're not uh, raising money for any new projects right now, but just the word stewardship in general. Uh, easy definition of this would be, uh, have you guys ever been asked to watch somebody's kids? Okay, well, while you're watching their kids, you're a steward over those kids, and you're trying to make sure that they don't get hurt, and you get them back in one piece, right? You try to get them fed and not injured, and you get them back home to, uh, in one piece. Or anyone ever responsible for managing an office or uh, a people group uh, on behalf of an employer. If you've been in that business management type of thing, you've been a steward over another person's possessions. So, in general, to steward is to manage something on someone else's behalf, whether a family member or a friend or employer asks you to watch over something. You are stewarding whatever has been entrusted to your care, okay? In the Greek, the word for steward is okinomos, and it means the manager of a household, and we see that as husbands and wives are supposed to manage their household well. We see that with deacons and elders, pastors to manage the affairs of the church well the Bible talks about. And in ancient Greek culture, uh, you were not the owner of the house, it said you were in charge uh, to manage the house, whether it was uh, possible servants, their food, cleaning of the house, their finances. You were in charge to manage all the things in in, re- in regards to the house, it's, I guess maybe like a maid, I guess, but not really because the maid doesn't usually look at your books. <laughs> you know. But they were really put in, in charge and trust over a, a big portion of your household. And we see that in Joseph's life. Joseph was put as a steward over Potiphar's house. And the Bible says everything that uh, was put under Joseph's care, God blessed it and caused it to, to multiply. In the same way, I believe that when you steward well what God has given to you, he's going to bless what he's put into your hands and cause it to multiply as well. Amen? You see the example here. And Joseph found a favor, found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. And the next verse shows us that everything that was put under his hand, under his authority, was blessed. Okay? And we all like the word for blessing. We all want to be blessed. We all want the increase. But like we talked about the last two weeks, there's things we need to do to partner with the blessing. Amen? And one of them is being a good steward. Okay? So I want to look at Luke chapter 16 today. That's the main portion of our, our text and sermon. It's going to come from Luke 16. Beginning in verse 1. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that he was wasting or squandering his goods. So he called him and said to him, "What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward." Then the steward said to himself, "Sounds like the main steward, but it's not steward. It's steward. Is <laughs> it steward? Little, bit. anyway." Then the steward said to himself, "What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the of the stewardship, that my that, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. This is quite the character here, isn't he? Okay? Okay. First, he's wasting someone else's stuff, then, then, he's, uh, then he's fired, then he starts forgiving debt that doesn't even belong to him, canceling his debts that don't belong to him. This guy was an unjust steward, and uh, <laughs> he, he, uh, there's a good reason why he was fired. So um, just to give some context of how much he forgave here, a measure of oil mentioned here is equal to 850 gallons, which would take approximately 150 trees, probably olive oil, was probably what the oil was roughly 150 trees to make that much, 850 gallons. And it was worth approximately 100 denarii, which is not a small number. The other person was a measure of wheat, was around 1,000 bushels and represented the harvest from 100 acres of land. So 100 acres. Okay, so that was worth about 2,500 denarii. So it looked like they were forgiven a different amount percentage-wise, but actually money-wise they were forgiven the same amount, about 500 denarii each, which is... A lot of money. In Matthew 20, there's a parable Jesus tells about hiring these different guys to work throughout the day. He hires this guy in the morning, this guy in the afternoon, this guy. And in the, when the evening came, he, he paid them all the exact same amount. And, you know, the guys hired first were upset. Well, what he paid them was a, a, a denarius, it was one denarius, which was worth a day's wage. So these guys are basically forgiven 500 days' wages each. And it wasn't even this guy's money that he forgave them for. So you would think uh, if you were the owner of that household, you'd be ticked about this, right? This guy just gave away 500 days of wages for this guy and that guy. That's 1,000 days of wages. And it's interesting, the response from this, uh, the owner of the house. This verse is, uh, is really confounding in some ways. Verse 8, so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly the sons of this world are more shrewd in this generation than the sons of light. Very interesting verse. I've read that verse, I can't remember how many times, and every time I've read it, I go, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you commended him. Okay? Now, uh, the word shrewdly means intelligent, wise, or prudent. So he thought he handled something intelligently, wisely, prudently. So the master here clearly is God, and God is commanding this man for his wisdom. Now I don't clearly. This is illegal. What what happened here? Right? He's tampering with the guy's books. He he's already was wasteful. Was fired. This is not his stuff. So what did God commend him for in this in this unjust stewardship? Is that me doing this noise, or is that something else? That was my boom 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 boom. boom. <laughs> my voice. All right. So uh, God is saying that it is, wi- it is it is wise to deal fraud is God saying that it is wise to deal fraudulently with your employer's stuff or to embezzle? Is that what the message is teaching here? No, that's why it's so confusing, right? Like, clearly, this is all through Scripture, this is not good to embezzle, to steal from people. Plus, the verse called him an unjust steward. So, what is the wisdom that the sons of the world have, but the sons of light are locking in? Isn't what he said? I believe the, the, the answer is found in the next verse, verse 9. says and i say to you make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that you when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home what he commended him for was that he used money even though it wasn't his own money he used money to make friends and he thought that was wise now this owner is so rich that 500 days here 500 days there wasn't a big deal to him it wasn't like he was applauding what how he's stolen and lied and cheated and things like that, but he did recognize the guy's wisdom. And isn't it interesting how God? We in our lives too, we can see faults and faults and faults. But God sometimes He just focuses on the good. He's got this divine editing of how even with you see it in Abraham's life, you see it in Moses' life. You read the stories, then you talk about in the New Testament. They always talk about they're these perfect people, and you go back and read them, it's like. That wasn't what I remember Sarah said or Abraham did or whatever. And God has a way of when he forgives you, he forgets. He doesn't bring it up again. He's not brought over even into the New Testament when he talks about Abraham and Sarah. So Jesus is saying here, he wants us to use our money to make friends. And I'm thinking even our unchristian people to be friends. And we use our money to help make friends that are non-saved. Whether we're taking them out to eat buying them a book, just having some meaningful conversation with them over a meal. Part of the reason why we have money is for the king and the kingdom, amen? And so it's for the king and the kingdom, we're going to have, at some point, need to reach out to people that don't know the king and introduce them through relationships. And we're going to take some of our money to do that. So that's what he was commending him for. Let me go on, to, uh, And then it says, uh, these friends that you are going to be your welcoming party when you get to heaven. That's kind of cool. Amen. Or we go on to verse 10. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. and the least there is, we're talking about money. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's money, you, who will commit to, you true, or commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money. You cannot have two masters. You cannot be, uh, God be your master, and money cannot be your master at the same time. Either you're going to love the one or you're going to hate the other. And we're not called to love money, right? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. We're called to love God. So he calls these things the least, referring to money. So in this these 13 verses there from Luke 16, I see three different types of stewardship uh, mentioned here in those verses. The first one is uh, stewarding what is someone else's, stewarding what is yours, and stewarding what is God's. Okay? And we're going to look at each of these uh, briefly here. In Luke verse 12, it said, And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? If you can't be faithful with what belongs to someone else." How is God going to trust you to, to your own stuff? Okay? I know this guy. Um, you, mo, many of you guys probably know him too, but he uh, rents homes and houses. He's the landlord. And he told me uh, different times when, when they move out, sometimes they just trash the place. This one, one people that, one group that moved out took all the copper pipes out of his whole house. I mean, it was a hot water boiler, and they heated the house with copper pipes. So every copper pipe upstairs, downstairs, the whole place, they cut out and turn it for scrap metal. I'm telling you that you're not going to get much money for that. You're going to get a little bit from dirty copper, but I mean, but anyway, he comes in to rent the next guy, and he has to put all the money in to fix the whole thing up. Clearly, this guy was not being faithful in another man's possessions. Amen. Uh, when you move into a place, you live there, a place where you're renting, that place should look better when you move out than it did when you moved in. That represents Christ, not a slouch, a lazy slacker. Okay? If you had to make improvements and pay for it out of your own pocket, you should be willing to do that in order to bless the family that you're running from. And God sees what's given in secret. He says it will reward you openly, doesn't he? Uh, if we borrow something, it should be returned in the same condition or better than it was when we borrowed it. Amen. And if we damaged it when we borrowed it, we should replace it with another one. Amen? I'm just being some real practical stewardship because I'm telling you, people don't know this stuff. And how you treat each other in these things really makes a difference. It, it, it's a respect or lack of respect. and like, I'm not going to lend to him anymore. I'll n- i never get it back. Well, you, that's wrong. If you borrow something, you should return it and return it on time. Amen? Be a man and woman of integrity and, your, and of your word. Um, my father told me a story once of how he had this little trailer for his four-wheeler. I actually have that trailer now. And uh, the guy borrowed it from him. And when he returned it, the guy took it and he had it cleaned up and really just better than it was when he got it. And he went and put four hubcaps on it. Now, I'm not telling you, you need you it make it look a lot nicer. And, uh, but anyway, I'm not telling you you have to go that far, but it should be at least returned at the minimum in the exact way it was when you borrowed it. So um, the principle here is of sowing and reaping. Okay, it says, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Eventually, we should want to have our own stuff, right? Uh, We live in the man's. It doesn't belong to us. We are a steward of that of that from the church lets us live there, and we're a steward of that to make sure it, it stays in a good condition and it's not wrecked and trashed, and we try to take care of it. And right now, I'd say we've done a pretty good job the best we can. It look, it's better today than it was when we moved in. And that's how it should be for, for all of us. Amen? Because it's the right thing to do. Not to, uh, the next one is stewarding what is yours. You see that reference at the end of verse 12. It says, who will give you what is your own? This verse is saying that God wants you to be faithful in other people's stuff first. And once you prove yourself faithful with their stuff, God will let you be faithful with your own stuff. It's not you'll be faithful with their stuff, then you get your own like, oh, now I can just treat it whatever way I want to. It's mine. I can do what I want to. And really you can, but is it being a good steward? If you God gives you something or you receive something, you just treat it like garbage. You don't really respect it. Have you ever noticed people that uh, work hard and save up for something, a car or some, some toy or something they saved up for a long time to get this thing and they'll treat that like it's gold won't they oh no there's dirt on it oh no i got a scratch on it but you give somebody something and uh sometimes you you, and you watch how they treat it sometimes they may treat it like garbage the first or second day because they're not thankful for what they have received because they didn't work for it and sometimes we can be too generous uh, in our giving Uh, uh, There's there's a book out called When Giving Giving Hurts, I think is what it's called. And it's when we give too much. It's not really helping that person learn the lesson of what it takes to to work hard for something, to get something and respect something and take care of it. Amen? We don't leave our tools out in the yard in the rain. We don't leave our stuff out. It gets ruined. That's not good stewardship, right? So uh, think about this for a minute. Imagine a parent or one of you guys giving $100,000 to like a six-year-old kid, okay? And you told them uh, they can do whatever they want with this money. Now, how many of those kids you think are going to save that money for college or invest it into some kind of stocks and bonds and things like that? Or how many think they're going to spend, spend it recklessly and just splurge on everything and take no thought accountability of how it went? Receipts, what? What, what do you think? Which one they're going to do? Okay, all right, so I think they'd buy probably a bunch of candy. Maybe they'd buy a, a nice bicycle or a four wheeler ATV or something. What kind of things do you think? We got any six year olds in here? Hannah, what would you buy if you got a whole bunch of money? What would you want? You don't want to say? Or anybody else? What do you think? What do you think a little kid would buy? They had $100,000 and no bills or responsibility with it. Puppies, as you said? Oh, man. Oh gosh. All right, what else? <laughs> oh, puppies. Everything you want. Good answer. Anything specific? Dirt bike. There you go. Well, birthday and Christmas coming up. <laughs> uh, but the kid would, would buy anything and everything they wanted to. They wouldn't have a concept of receipts or checks and balances or anything. They would just go buy every little thing they they wanted to. So, would that be good stewardship? on a parent's part, to do that. Even if the p- parent was a millionaire, billionaire, I don't think that would be good stewardship, on the parent's part, to give them this money, without any kind of teaching, coaching, and training on what you do with money, and how to t- take care of money. In the same way, I think when uh, we're not faithful, with someone else's stuff, God sees that. And he said, you're not be faithful with their stuff, how can I trust you with your own stuff? If you can't be faithful with money, how can I entrust you with true riches, which are people? That's what I think true riches is. It's spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit, you know, training things. But also, it's people. That's the very thing God uh, cherishes more than anything. It's people. Amen? The people you hate, God really loves. The people that gets on my nerves, your nerves, everybody's nerves, and they don't even know it, God really loves them. And somehow, He likes them. (laughs) I haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) But He doesn't just love them. He likes them. He has eyes that see things we don't see. He sees that gold in them, like we're going to call out on Friday night the in prophetic, the prophetic ministry. So one of the ways we can become a good steward is by not being wasteful. In verse 1, that was the reason why uh, that steward was fired was because he was being wasteful in what was uh, belonged to somebody else. In uh, John 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000 people, it says, When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces... That are left over, let nothing be wasted, so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. Jesus basically created this food out of nothing, didn't he? I mean, it just we just it appeared out of nowhere, he had a little bit of bread to start with, a little bit of fish to start with, but it didn't really cost him anything financially, did it? He just prayed a prayer, all of a sudden the food kept multiplying, he's feeding everybody I mean it didn't really cost him everything but, but why didn't he just say, well, just leave it. Whoever wants it, take it, just leave it on the ground. He, didn't, he could make more any day he wanted to, couldn't he? He's God, right? But at the same time, the same God that wants us to be blessed, the same God that wants us to prosper, is the same God that sends them back and says, now pick up the pieces. Don't let things be wasted. Be a good steward in what God has given you. He could have made more, but he's teaching a lesson here on stewardship that don't waste your stuff. Some people are praying for God to bless them, for God to increase them, and some of you just need, might just need to just tighten your budget or make a budget to begin with, okay? And uh, don't shut me down because I'm preaching good, but I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, I know budgets are guidelines. They're, they, they need to have some flex in them because stuff happens. You can't factor in for every situation. But a good budget is important to be responsible with what God has entrusted to you. Amen? Uh, the, you've heard the sayings, haste makes waste. And also, uh, waste not, want not. Those aren't scriptures as far as I know, but they're good sayings uh, from people that have learned in life that you need to take care of the stuff that you have. Um, Sometimes, in our desire for more, we actually just, again, we just actually need to just tighten up our budgets. And you cut this out and cut that out a little bit here, a little bit there, and you've got a raise. All of a sudden, you've got that raise you're looking for by just cutting some things out. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever do anything fun. You can't go out and enjoy yourself. The Bible says He's given us all things for us to enjoy, amen? But there's a balance there, and each one the balance is different in proportion to where you are in life with what you have. Okay, you can't live... If you're here, you can't live like you're here because it's going to ruin you. It can ruin your family. It can ruin your home. It can ruin a lot of things. So Proverbs 22.7 says, the, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So when we live above our means, basically we are end, end up borrowing this money from somebody else, either credit card or bank or loan, and they're going to charge you interest to pay that back. And that interest is going to take you months, years, decades, we don't know, depending on if it's a house or whatever you borrowed, to pay back. And God, the best way to do it, and we can't all do it this way, it's not a sin to, to, to borrow, so it's not, a, it's not a sin to lend, so it's not a sin to borrow, okay? So I'm not saying it's a sin, but it's the best way is to pay for stuff in cash, is That's not always a realistic way for situations, but the more more you overspend, the more you're going to have to go into debt with credit cards or with loans and this. You're paying back 10%, 15%, 20-something percent on some cards, and that's money. You're just flushing down the toilet, and it's not being a good steward with what you have. Now, sometimes emergencies happen, and I'm not talking about emergencies. I'm talking about a, a practice of being irresponsible and being wasteful with what God's given you. It becomes a habit and you get into debt and more debt and more debt because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and keep up with appearances and i got to look good, i got to dress good, i got to do this and do that. No, you don't have to do anything. You have to believe God and listen to what God tells you and you'll have a good life. You'll have a good life. When you spend money, three factors should come into play. it be, do I need it? Do I want it? And can I afford it? Those thoughts should go through your head every time you spend a penny, right? <laughs> I mean, not like... Instantly I mean pretty much instantly, but do I need it? Do I want it? Can I afford it? You got a garage full of stuff that's getting rotten, that's getting wasted. The garage so full of things you can't pull your, your car in because there's so much stuff. Do you need more stuff? Oh man, I feel so alone up here right now. <laughs> like I'm only preaching the word. I'm not saying I'm perfect at any of this stuff. I, I try, but I'm just saying it's I'm giving the word best I can here. Um, now the word need is a relative term, is it not? I mean, need here in America and need in Uganda are not even on the same planet, okay? And so I'm talking to Americans right now. I'm not asking you to starve yourself like an Ethiopian or a Ugandan or anything like that. You're, we're living in the culture we're in, okay? But need is relevant, should be relevant to how much money you have, okay? Want also should be relative to how much money you have. I want this. Well, you don't have enough money, too bad. Suck it up. Live without it. You can't afford it, don't buy it. Okay? Who I mean who you really need it for? I mean, who are you buying it for, right? Who's it? What are you gonna do with it? I mean, used to think buying this certain thing would make me happy, buying this certain thing would make me happy. And for a couple days I really get happy with those new toys or new things you buy, like I really wanted this or whatever. And after a couple days, like, nah. Nah, whatever, that thing didn't bring me any happiness at all. It can't bring you happiness, it can bring you entertainment. But entertainment when the when the show is over, whenever it's over you're going to still have that empty feeling inside because only money, only God can provide. <laughs> only God, thank you, Lord, can fill that void, not money. Nobody else can fill that. So the third one, again, can I afford it? Now, uh, or go back to can I, do, I, do I want it? This one is easily influenced by our comfort, our convenience, and appearances. You know, do I need this? Do I want this? Well, this would look really good in my yard or this truck would look really good to my coworkers or to whatever. They're going to think I'm really prosperous if I drive this nice thing. And guess what? It's a facade. If you own if you're borrowing 40 grand on it and you're paying back $200 a month just in interest, it's a facade. It's not really you're not really that blessed. You probably should go down to the, something smaller and something cheaper, something used, and live within your means and have more money to pay on the principal of something and, and to pour into your family than give it to the bank for no reason. Now, if you're an owner of a bank, God bless you. If you <laughs> I'm just saying, that's not good stewardship. Now, if you prayed about it and God gives you the green light to borrow, I have a vehicle I'm paying on. I just paid the first payment on the Subaru. And it was 100 bucks, so that was interest. Well, guess what? I'm, I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? It was only a $7,000 loan. I'm like, what? So I'm going to be getting rid of that one as quickly as possible. I was going to anyway, but now I'm extra motivated because I uh, hadn't yet done the math on what that would be. 50 bucks went on principal. 100 went on nothing. Uh, we need to take care of that. I mean, you got a, a more expensive vehicle, a more expensive house, whatever. Those numbers just go up and up and up, okay? Amen. So, uh, can I afford it? These thoughts go through your head. What about our budget? Does this fit in our budget? And if you're married, the thoughts should go in in your head. What's my spouse going to think? Or maybe I should ask her. Or are we in agreement? Okay? You should... You should never buy any purchase, that's my opinion, especially major purchase, without being in in agreement with your spouse that here's what I'd like to get, here's our budget, what do you think can we afford to get this now, or do you think we should wait, and talk about it. Buying it out of rebellion, or stubbornness, or pride, or whatever else it might be, just say, well, it's my money, I got the job, I can do what I want. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. It is not your money, it's God's money. And when you're married, everything you have belongs to your spouse, and everything they have belongs to you. There is no mine, it's ours. And you need to be in agreement, because you'll fight over these things, and it's wrong. It is wrong. You can do it, and you can get away with it, and they'll still love you, they're married to you. Gosh, they signed that covenant, they're, they're stuck with you for life now, death to you apart. They're going to have to work it out, or get a divorce, right? But why not walk in the favor, and the grace of God, that He's and put these instructions out here for us, so we can get along and love each other amen? That's a lot better amens now. All right, so I'm going to go on to, a. Uh, am going to go on to something, because I don't drink coffee, so I'm going to use coffee as an example. <laughs> it's just easier for me. <laughs> so, uh, some of you, uh, some of you guys can't afford manicures and pedicures and five dollars Starbucks coffee, you know, even though they're really a non-family organization, they're anti-Christian organization, just saying, but, uh, I'm sorry if you like Starbucks, but that's where your money's going to. I'm just telling you. And I'm, I'm not saying you can investigate every company on the planet to figure out where your money... I'm not saying that, but Starbucks has made it very clear how they feel about family and how they feel about Chick-fil-A and how they feel about stuff like that, uh, just like Target has and some other ones. They made it very clear how they feel about traditional family. So I don't shop at Target anymore. Holly does some, and she really wants some back-to-school her school supplies. I, I remember the last time I spent something there because... I was offended by their stance, just to be honest. So anyway, um, some people can't afford the manicures, the pedicures, and the $5 coffees. They can afford that. And you know what? That's great. That's, that's, they feel good about that. They're okay with that. There's nothing really wrong with that if it fits in their budget. But if you can't afford it, and you're doing it for a way to keep up appearances or for your comfort or convenience, you're being wasteful, and it's not a good steward of your money. Okay? Think of this for an example. Coffee, Starbucks, I don't know. I've never got one there. I've got a hot chocolate, but I've never got a coffee. I don't drink coffee. I don't like it. Anyway, so it's not a spiritual thing. It's an Andrew Womack thing. It's not that. It's I, its really, my mom might be watching, really, my mother's breath stunk so bad. After she drank coffee, she kissed me in the morning. <laughs> I love you, Mom. <laughs> she kissed me in the morning when I was going to catch the bus, and her breath smelled so bad of coffee, I was like, I will never drink that stuff in my life. And I just, I just never have. I just don't like it, so... I know, Mom, that was a long time <laughs> Anyway, I love you. Okay, so um, so if you went to Starbucks you know, five days a week, you spent $5 on coffee. All right, that's $25 a week, $100 a month. That's 1200 technically $1,300 a year on coffee. That would pay most of you. would pay for your, uh, your tax payment of your property tax on, your build, on, your, on the house you own just by not getting the, the coffee. on what size house and what kind of loan you have, that'd probably pay for your property tax bill. Every year they have to save up for, you know, to pay that, that we hate giving them that money. It's like, what do I, I already own this land, why am I giving them this? Yeah, that. You'd have enough, if you're not drinking that coffee. And you know, and some people go there more than once a day. I know a guy, he doesn't live around here, he lives in Knoxville area, I think, and he goes two or three times a day. Uh, they know him by name they recognize his voice as he comes through the drive through and they know what he wants i I was like he didn't know anything yeah i said hello they knew me like come up and here's your order sir and i'm like wow I'm like he has a, a starbucks credit card or whatever else gift card or whatever it is and uh, that guy can't afford it i don't know if his body can afford it but he can he can afford it financially but uh is it, good, is it good stewardship for him? I guess it probably could be for you. If you can't afford those things, you shouldn't be doing those things. I don't care what name brand it is. I don't care if it's Starbucks, Nike, Converse, whatever the thing is. If you can't afford it, you shouldn't go there. Okay? All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, so in stewarding what is yours, before you go praying for more, the question is, are you taking care of what you already have? Are you taking care of your house, your car, your possessions, your budget? God is absolutely the God of increase, but he's also the God who collects the leftovers so nothing is wasted. He's both. Okay, he's both. All right. Next one is stewarding what is God's. It's from verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? In this verse, God calls money unrighteous mammon. In another verse, in this we just read, calls it the least of all things to be trusted with. And then a couple verses later, he calls it the love of money detestable in God's sight. So how we deal with money is a big deal. It's a big deal to God, okay? So God wants us to be faithful in what is least so he can entrust you with more. His heart for you is the more. Okay? But you had to be faithful with what you have right here, and he will entrust you with the more. Amen? If you can't be faithful with the dime, he's not gonna give you the the the, the dollar or the hundred dollars or whatever. So we've already looked at God's heart towards tithes and offering, but do you know that he is being generous for only asking for a portion of your income? He is being very generous and only asking for that. You live on this planet and you don't pay rent. He made this place. The water you drink, the air you breathe, he made it all. We don't pay, we're not paying him anything. In Proverbs 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. They belong to God. So the world belongs to him, the planet is his, and the tithe belongs to him. That's when he says, bring the tithe to my storehouse, not give the tithe. You, can't, you have to bring it because it's not yours if, you, if you're giving it, it belongs to you. He didn't say give it. He said bring it. I've entrusted you with something that's not yours. You have it, but it's entrusted to you. It doesn't belong to you. Bring it to the church. That there's food in my house. Okay, This is not supposed to be an option. It's not supposed to be a, it's tithing for today and all that kind of stuff. No, it belongs to God. It's His. It, it's His. It's why we, why we do it. I'll give you an example. Uh, John and Christy pay our boys for cutting the grass over here at the cabin. And uh, we, we do that, well... Every once in a while, <laughs> it has been a little while, but anyway, uh, usually when it's time to pay, John usually pays me at church on Sunday, he usually gives me the money, then I give it to the boys when so we get home, depending on who cut the grass. And you know, never one time had the boys said, hey dad, thank you for that money. That was really great, you gave it to me. You know why? Because it wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. John gave it to me, or Christy gave it to me, then I gave it to them. Uh, so in the same way, when you bring the tithe, you shouldn't be expecting this big thank you from God. It was his anyway. It was already his. It belongs to him. All right? You've just been entrusted with it, and God has handed this to you and asked you to bring it to the storehouse. Okay? So, uh, like Joseph, we have all been made stewards of God's possessions. And how we handle those things is going to be a factor in how he releases his blessing into our life. We put too, way too many things under the sovereignty of God when the Bible clearly gives us instructions on how to handle finances, how to do this, how to do that. And if we don't do it, then we, we cry and get uh, upset like, why is not God blessed me? No, He has blessed you. He has blessed you. And you be faithful with what He has given you. He will bless you with the more. But you first must be faithful with the little, or He'll trust you with the more. And the more is not more than just money. The more is trusting you with people. With, uh, with uh, spiritual gifts, with uh, speaking in people's lives, relationships—that's the true riches of life. Amen. True riches of life isn't money. You're not going to bring it to heaven with you. Of course, you want to be comfortable here and have good stuff here, but true riches are relationships with God and relationships with each other, with family. Amen. So uh, you might hear someone say, "My power or my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I worked hard for this." I did this. I deserve this pay. All right, but verse 18 of Deuteronomy 8 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You could not do anything that you do without God's ability giving you that grace to do it, even breathe, walk, talk, or anything. He gave you that ability. Remember, it's He that gives you the power to produce wealth. Amen? Every one of us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or the moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. How could we ever outgive God? Amen? It's impossible. So guys, God wants us to be faithful and good stewards of what he's entrusted to us, what, what, uh, what belongs to somebody else what belongs to you, and what belongs to God. And if we will be good stewards of what God has given to us, God is going to pour out more blessing into your life. Amen? He who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much. Okay? Do you want the much? Well, they you be faithful with what you have. Amen? Amen. I thank God for what we have. Amen? God has blessed everyone in this room. But the more is on the other side of your obedience the more is on the other side of your stewardship. You can pray all day, but if you don't change some things, if, especially if God's instructing you to change some things, you're, you're, you're missing it, okay? Amen.